Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. If you have your Bibles and you're able, willing, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Today we jump back into the book of Romans and I hope at some point this year that we'll finish it. Thank you for two of you who laughed. Um, we're, we're getting there. Uh, part of my hope and desire is I really didn't want to rush through uh, these last few chapters of Romans because I think there's some, some huge, um, huge opportunities for us to grow and learn and be reminded of what's important to the Lord. So Romans um, chapter 14, we'll uh, look at the first 12 verses today just a moment I'll ask you to stand and we'll read them together and you can follow along and I'll read Um, but before I do that I just want to make mention uh, it's coming quickly summer did you know summer's coming quickly you might have felt a little bit of it this week right Uh, praise the Lord for the nice weather Um, but just don't whine and complain to me when we're in May and we have snow okay don't do it you're not allowed to Uh, we had 60 degrees this week in February all right Um, But summer's coming quickly, and with that comes Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School is a big deal. Um, We believe uh, it's a great... Jimmy's excited about it. Um, um, It's a great opportunity for us to minister to families in our area, not only to our own children uh, and to teach them God's Word, but also to other families in our community and, and we do it in such a way that we need your help, and that's why I'm sharing this with you. Uh, it's been in our email bulletin for the last few weeks, but I share this to put the dates in front of you and to say you're not allowed to take vacation on these dates, okay, because we need you. And if you already have it scheduled, okay, next year you're on though, okay? Um, but uh, it's like a family that went on vacation last year, and they missed it. I said, if you miss two years in a row, then you're in charge the third year. So, um, but July 7th through the 12th, July 7th through the 12th, it's just a fantastic week. And it's a great week that, that we get to have a lot of fun and dig into word. And so our theme this year is scuba diving into friendship with God. And so we're really excited about that. And I would encourage you, uh, you say, well, I'm, I'm, old or I can't do, I can't help. Let me encourage you. All of us can do something right now. And you know what it is? Pray. We need to be in prayer. We need to pray that God would send the children that he desires. We'll pray that God would equip us with all the workers that we need. Um, And so I I plead with you that we would bathe this uh, year's VBS in prayer. And just as a little side note, I think I can share this now. Uh, my daughter, Lene, has agreed to be our summer intern, uh, summer children's intern. And so we've had it for several years now. Uh, I think it started back with Megan, Megan McNulty, now Megan Landis, who has three, four children of her own. Four children. That's so crazy. I have four grandchildren. Did you know that? I'm a grandpa. All these kids, our kids, our youth group kids, I know back Years ago, I was a youth pastor, and it's been a long time, but those kids are having kids, four of them. It's amazing, but Megan started it, and several years after that, we've had Marissa and 
uh, Ellie and others, Rachel, that have come and served. And um, I'm especially excited to have my own daughter come and to serve in that capacity this summer. So she'll help uh, run Vacation Bible School and other things this summer. So if you have questions, you can start bombarding her so she can get a feel and taste of what ministry is all about, which she already knows being my daughter. So gray issues. Today, we're going to cover gray issues. Did you know that not everything's black and white? There is one member in my family uh, my older brother, who sees everything black and white. He loves it black and white. And uh, I would say that my younger brother, Dan, um, is more of the gray guy. Um, he, he is more mellow, being the third boy. He's more laid back. He was always the peacekeeper. Um, and, uh, and so it's just fun uh, thinking about how other people think. And you may be sitting here uh, and as we walk through this uh, this morning and also next week, because next week will be part two, um, you if you are a black and white person, you may wrestle and struggle with this. And you should. Uh, if you are a person who likes to live in gray, you should wrestle with this as well. And one of the things that I want to encourage us as we walk through this it reminded me this week, I, I took a long trip driving this week. And maybe you're like me. When, we, when, I, when I drive, um, I have a problem. And my problem when I drive on the highway especially is I like to tell people what they should do or shouldn't do. Right? So if you're in the left lane and the speed limit is 70 and you're going 55, I will tell you that you need to move over. All right. I don't know if you hear me or not, but I tell you. There's other times, and maybe this has been you, where uh, you're slowing down because there's been an accident or construction or something, and where the lanes need to merge, um, and where you start slowing down. Some of you are laughing already because you know exactly what I'm going to talk about. Where you're merging, and then there's these few enabled people that think they're privileged enough to not wait in line, but they can speed past everyone until the last minute, and then they cut off the semi who blows his horn and who's really mad because they almost hit him. So I take it in my hands that I'm going to help these semi drivers out. You know, they get a bad rap. So I'll just move over a little bit. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Because why? I'm helping. I'm going to help be the enforcer, right? That's not the way my wife sees it. Thankfully, she's in the nursery this morning now. She's like, Aaron, just stay in your lane. And I'm like, no, they need to learn. They need to know that's not right. She says, why is it your job? It's not your job. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So when we get into these gray issues, you may have a tendency to feel like the enforcer. And we're going to see very quickly that we're not in that position. All right. And so as we walk through the text this morning, uh, I can firmly put myself in this position and to wrestle with gray issues. There are gray issues 
in our walk, in our Christianity, in the life that we're trying to live out, that, that one person does and they think and feel like they're pleasing God and the other person does and they feel like they're pleasing God. And yet we're not called as we're driving down the road to be the enforcer and tell everyone what they are doing incorrectly. So with that in mind, would you stand with me and let's read together. You can follow along in your word, hopefully in your copy in front of you, uh, or also up on the screen. Romans chapter 14, we'll look at the first 12 verses. Paul writes, verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, do not, do not, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of others? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in the honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Lord, thank you for the opportunity to open up your word this morning. And I pray that it would take root into our minds and in our hearts. That we may live out your truth. That we may not just be hearers of the word this morning, but that we would be doers of the word. That we would be so excited and, and desiring and urging others around us as Christ followers. That we would be obedient to you and obedient to this text and what you call us and how you call us to live out our faith. And so, Lord, bless our time. May your spirit do your work in us. May we, you, may we allow you the free roam of our hearts and our minds. And when you do your work in us, may we be open and receptive to that spirit who resides in us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. When we look at the context here of what Paul is writing, and, and as we have seen, we've seen a lot of, of how Paul has been giving instruction to the believer. Chapter 13 talks about how we are to be submissive and we pray for those who are in leadership over us. 
And then ultimately, he finishes chapter 13 with this idea of love. And that runs into our chapter here in chapter 14. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, are we living a life of love? We should all know, and I think hopefully if we're all honest, we would admit that God has truly shown his love towards us. We would admit that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. We were enemies of God, and while we were yet enemies, the living, true Messiah God died for you and me. Isn't that amazing? We were not just on good terms, we were on bad terms. And so the idea that we have experienced God's love, and now we get to share and to show that God's love, God's love to others, is very clear as Paul writes this. In chapter 14, what Paul is not talking about is doctrinal belief. All right, when we talk about gray issues, Paul is not talking about um, a, a distinction of salvation. And in fact, in Galatians, um, if you would, I, I don't have it up on the screen, but I'm going to guess that I have enough time here early on this part. So turn over with me, if you would, Galatians. Paul is addressing Peter. And so Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Paul says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritical along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, that's the key there, all right? Their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, meaning what they believed about the gospel, they were not living out. We'll get to that in just a moment, a little bit later. It says that I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? And then we jump over to chapter 5, verse 2, where we see what the real issue is. The real issue is this, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. Their belief was that you had to be circumcised in order to be a true follower of Jesus. If you wanted Christ you had to be also circumcised. And Paul is saying, it says he confronted Cephas, which is also uh, Peter. He confronts Peter to his face in front of everybody and says, this is wrong. You are living a hypocritical life. This wasn't a gray issue. This was a doctrinal issue. This was an issue of salvation. And Paul wanted to very publicly address this issue. Then we see over in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, where Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. In chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on 
asceticism, which is ultimately self-denial. Some who believe that you had to be uh, living a celibate life or you had to be in long-term um, fasting. All right, A worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reasons by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grow with the growth that is from God. Verse 20, if, if with Christ you died to the elemental, elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Meaning you cannot do these if you want to live a spiritual life. This is not part of your salvation. Why do you go back to it? It's a matter of doctrine. Paul is addressing. When Paul is writing Romans 14... He's not addressing a, a, a doctrinal belief. Instead, what he's talking about is he's talking about religious and cultural differences. He's talking about personal convictions. Not things that, that are part of your salvation, but things that are on the side. Things that, that people bring with them as they grow in their walk with Jesus. Some of these are personal convictions, and we'll look at the text here in a little bit in Romans 14. We need to be convicted in our own personal convictions before the Lord. Now, what we often do is we take our personal convictions and we make others live by them. Do you know what that's called? It's called legalism. That's a true definition that I've come up with of legalism. Where I take my personal convictions, what I believe to be true, and I force you to do it. Sounds like the story I told you before, right? I'm going to be the enforcer. This is what's right, and I want you to get over now behind me and get in line. Well, that's legalism. That's, that's not what Paul is saying here. He doesn't want us to live a legalistic lifestyle. In fact, what he wants us to do, he starts off here, is by accepting. We have a, th this is a complicated message to preach. Last night I was sitting on the couch after we had uh, our family dinner. and Usually when I start getting nervous or have issues, I sigh, I guess. And Lisa said to me after the eighth sigh, because she said it that way, you've sighed eight times in the last two minutes. What's going on? Well, it's, th it's this. Gray issues is hard to talk about because it can be misunderstood. You can misunderstand me this morning and think that you have liberty to live life however you want. That's not what I'm saying and that's not what Paul is saying. Or you may misunderstand and you, you, you have these convictions and you're going to live them out. And you want other people to see how important they really are. Do you know that's been the problem of the church? Not in the last 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years. No, this is a problem that stems back 
quite a ways away because we read it in, even in 1 Corinthians. We're 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where Paul has to address the inner fighting of those people who think that, it's, that it was greater that they were baptized by, by this person or by this person. No, my baptism was even better because I was baptized by this guy. This guy is even better. I'm greater than you are. This inner fighting that isn't new to us today, but we can get so wrapped up into it. The context of Romans 14. If you don't know the context, it's important for us to realize many of the Jews had been thrown out because, uh, because of the infighting that had been taking place. And they had been allowed to come back in. But when the, some of those Jews who had heard Christ and believed in Christ, when they came back together in, here in, in Romans 14, there's, an, there, there's a tendency as they're fighting against one another. Hey, I heard this from Peter, or I heard this from Paul, or this is the way we've always done it. Some of it is Jews fighting against Jews, but some of it is the context of Jews and Gentiles. As the Jew who accepts Christ comes back into this culture of Gentiles, and there are Gentile believers here believing in the Christ they're living life in one way, and this Jewish believer is living life according to their own customs and their own beliefs. There's a friction that takes place. It's kind of like if we, if, if we moved our church, all right, and we went either down south or even if we went to Africa, there is going to be some friction. There's going to be some things that we're going to love, and there's other things that we're going to... We're, that, that ain't, that ain't right. That ain't scriptural. Right, Eric? Yeah, he gets it. Because some of the differences that we have are cultural. Did you hear me say that? Some of the differences that we have are not written in this book. Like what music you're allowed to listen to. Are you allowed to dance? Can you go to movies? You have to wear your hair a certain way. And ladies, you have to wear a dress to church. Did you know that? That's in here. Wait, oh no, it's not? I've shared this story before and I'll share it again here. Not that I don't think we should dress appropriately, but I asked a fellow who said that I wasn't looking good which I think I'm looking, I liked how I said that. You like that? I wasn't wearing a tie or suit. And I said, can you show me in the Bible where it says that I need to do that? And he got mad at me and he got upset. Oftentimes our gray issues will get underneath our skin and they will make us upset. Be honest with yourself and before God. You may not like what somebody else thinks that they can do. In our context here, it's about eating meat. All right? It's also about observing certain days. What is it for you? When you look at another Christian, what is it for you that gets underneath your skin? 
Like, I can't believe they call themselves a Christian and they do that. I once had a lady who was upset because there was a young man who came into church here and came into worship and he wore a hat. She said, that's disrespectful, especially disrespectful before God. And I said, I I can agree with that. I said, but you know what I'm glad? I'm glad that he's here. We allow things that are gray issues to overtake us and get in the way of what is most crucial and important. I'm not saying that your convictions are wrong. You need to have your own convictions. But where is the line where we force those convictions on others? That's what Paul addresses here. So let's dig in. Paul starts off and he says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. The weak person here is the one who does not see eating of meat as being faithful to God. What was the custom back in this day, and again, as you think about this, they would take an animal and offer it to false gods. wonder where they got that idea of offering an animal as a sacrifice, right? You're like, uh, where is that? Oh, Old Testament, right? Has God called his people to bring sacrifice to him? All right, it's always been twisted. Any, any false belief often has been twisted from what is truth. So we see these false gods have been, uh, pagans have been bringing these, these sacrifices. And what they would do is oftentimes if you had a, a, a cow or some animal, you would bring half of it. To, to this idol, and it would be sacrificed. It would be laid on the altar, all right? The other half would go to the butcher shops, all right? And they would be sold because there's nothing wrong with them, all right? And so they would be sold, and they would, they would get some profit out of their animal. And that meat, I believe, that's the meat that Paul is addressing here. As people who are eating that, there are some weak in their faith who say, how can I... How can I eat this meat that I know was offered in sacrifice to a foreign God? So the weak person says, I can't eat it. And in fact, verse 2 says, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Some people look at Daniel and say, oh man, that's the diet we should be on. Because look, he profited. And there's a lot of great scientific studies that show that Vegetables and fruits are very good for us. I think we forgot about the triangle that we learned, at least I learned in, in grade school. All right? It's like the, the different food groups. Sugar's on top, right? Because it's the best. No, I mean, that's the least amount we should have. But you think about the food groups, we've, we've known this. This is good. Vegetables are good for us. But as we know... Jesus even says that it's not the food that defiles us. It's from within that defiles us, not what we consume. As we look here, there, are, there is the weaker brother who eats only vegetables. Paul doesn't condemn that. 
nor does he condemn the person who eats anything. Anything. So he gives this. Verse 1, he says, welcome him who is weak. Don't hold him off. Don't push him away. You you need to welcome him. You need to bring him in. Not seeing him as somebody who needs to get their act together. But somebody that you love and you care for. So verse 3 says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. That's some strong language. To despise. You're looking down on them. You're thinking, man, what's wrong with their faith? Why, do they, why, don't, why don't they see the goodness of God's grace? There's so much freedom. Come on. No, don't look at them in that way. It says, and let not the one who abstains, the weaker brother, don't let them pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. God has welcomed the Gentile who is okay with eating meat that may have been sacrificed to idols because they believe there's only one true God now. These idols aren't real. So for them, they're okay with that. And it says for the weaker brother to not what? Pass judgment. I think sometimes we would think ourselves as the strong because nobody wants to be weak, right? I don't want to be weak. I'm the strong person. The weak person is the one who does what? They're prone to pass judgment. Paul says, don't pass judgment. That's why I would say I'm the weaker brother a lot of times because I'm quick to pass judgment. Don't think that you're the judge, and we're going to look at that in a minute, because you think you know what is right and what is wrong. Verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Oh, that's like the mic drop, right? Here it is. You, whether you're the weaker or the stronger brother in a gray issue area, who are you? Paul says it this way. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? So who's... The one who is in control, who is the head, who is the boss, it's God, right? He is our head and we are his servants. So Paul says, do you think that they report to you? In our day and age, it would be like you're going to be their boss, right? We've got a lot of bosses in our world today. And there's nothing worse than walking into a church where there seems to be a lot of bosses who want to tell you what to do. And Paul is addressing that and he's saying, listen, they are not the servant of you. And I want to clearly point out, you are not my servants. Just because I'm the pastor here doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're low or you're subservient to me and I get to tell you what to do. No, that's not how it goes. We're, we're all in the same boat here. And we're servants of one, the true high king. 
says it is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. It's before God, ultimately, and he's going to make this point at the end of our section here. It's before God that we either stand or we fall. Whether we're doing what's right and we're proud and we bring God our, 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 our life and this offering, or we fall before him in shame and in sin, it is before God. He is our master. Verse 5. One person esteems, here's the next issue. One person esteems one day is better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. He doesn't stay long on this, but we do see, even in the passage in Colossians, how there were some who, who wrestled with this. This idea that, again, as you have Gentiles coming to know Christ, and they take the first day of the week in honor and celebration, to them that day was great. And to others, the Jew, the seventh day, they would take and they would... Honor God as the old covenant was laid out to them. Some of it was, again, their, the way that they were raised, the way that they were taught, the way that they learned. Does it mean that one day is better than the other? What does Paul say? No. He doesn't give an answer. He says, listen, some of you esteem one day is better than the other, while the other says all the days alike. Paul addresses it saying this. He doesn't say which day is better or which person is better if you eat just vegetables or you eat everything. He says this. Each one should be fully convinced in his own what? Mind. I find it interesting here that the text tells us not in our heart but in our mind. There's a lot of different words that Paul could have used here. But to think through and to be convicted in our own self that we have to give work to it. That's why we go to school, right? That's why you guys are all in school. You guys go to school because you need to be learning. You're working on your mind so that you may know what the truth is. That two plus two equals seven. No, it's four. Right? And so as we think about this, Paul is saying, listen, I want you to be at a place where you are fully convinced in your own mind. Verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it to what? Honor the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, he abstains what? In honor of the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. And then he goes on and he says, listen, no one lives to himself. He lives unto God. No one dies to himself. He dies unto God. Who is our master and who's the one in control? It's not about pleasing other people. It's not about making other people happy. It's about being convicted in our own minds and our hearts before the almighty Lord that we live according to what honors him. I'm going to live in such a way that my life honors God. The problem that we have, we're all good with saying that. The problem is when gray issues arise, and there are gray issues, 
If one of you comes and tells me that there aren't as many gray issues as you think, I might scream at you. So don't do that. At the end of today, you, I want you to recognize there are gray issues in our faith and in our life. And that ultimately, one of the Baptist distinctives, which we don't talk a lot about here, because I, I call myself a follower of Jesus more than I call myself a Baptist. But one of the Baptist distinctives is individual soul liberty. We believe that God individually calls each one to himself and he grows us and shows us and we have our own convictions as we learn the word of God. That's not about doctrine. That's about how we practically live it out, the truths of God's word each day. That's why God calls some of us, we love a certain style of music. That's why we love a certain way that we dress. We're comfortable with that. That's why we, we are comfortable with maybe having, having a, an alcoholic beverage. Oh, now you're meddling, Pastor. Some of you, you, you won't even buy a, a, nice, a nice car because you want to give that money unto the Lord and to his work. And so you're prone to look at that person who has that nice fancy car and you're like, oh man, they must not love Jesus. And so when we think of that, we're quick as we see somebody pulling into the parking lot and they got this nice vehicle and we're like, oh man, that's really sweet. I don't get to have that, but it's okay because I love Jesus more. Maybe you don't think that, but I'm telling you, there are people who live today who do think that. There are gray issues all around us. Ultimately, Paul is saying, listen, you need to be convinced in your own mind how you're to live life. And I believe those convictions can adjust as we walk in our growth with the Lord. Paul, part of that is Paul addresses in some of his other writings about how we start off as young infants and babes. And as we take the word of God and as we grow up into it, we mature. We're called to mature. We're called to understand what does it mean to fully live for him? That doesn't mean that you move from eating just vegetables that you can eat meat and everything else. It doesn't mean that you move from eating meat and everything else that you move to vegetables. That's not what it's about. It's that you are understanding and spending time with the Lord that the spirit of God shows you the truth of God's word and what he desires for your life in the context that he has placed you. We need good and godly wisdom and counsel and friends to come alongside of us. People that we trust, not people who are casting judgment on us, but people that, that love Jesus, that know the context that we're living in, and that helps us. Ultimately, he ends verse 8, and he says, So whether we live or whether we die, we are the, who's the master again? He's reminding us, we are whose. Do you know that you are not your own? You don't own yourself. It's a hard concept to get across today. Because there's people who are going to go on the whole other flip side. Like we're a doormat that we can just get run over. 
No, that's not what I'm talking about. But when we come to Christ, we surrender our lives. We die with Christ. That's the beauty of baptism. It shows that I have been raised. I died with Christ, but I am a new creature, and I have been raised with him. And Paul says that I have this life I now live, I live with Christ. We don't live for ourselves. Meaning, ultimately, the lies that we would live for ourselves, we're going to condemn we're going to look down on those who only eat vegetables. We're going to, we're going to pass judgment to those who, who do something that we would not agree with. When we own ourselves, we think that we're right. Verse 9, to this, for, this, for to this end, Christ died and lived again. I think this is remarkable because he switches, Paul switches the order here. All right, he's been talking about how we live, but none of us lives to our, ourselves, verse 7, and none of us dies to ourselves. So it's talking about living and then we die. But when it comes to Christ, verse 9, it says, For Christ died and he what? Lived again. Christ lived a perfect and sinless life, but what he did that was actually amazing and remarkable that changes our life, that moves us from our own individual self that's enchained to the bondage of sin that we can't get out of ourselves. What's changed all that is the fact that Christ died and he lived again. Christ not only died, but he rose from the dead and that changed everything. That's what sets us free from that bondage of sin, who gives us our life that we enjoy today. Not a life that we are to enjoy ourselves, but a life that ultimately we have surrendered to the king as the master. For, so Paul writes, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. He is Lord both. I think he's talking about those who are dead and those who are alive today, are you alive? Let me tell you something. Charity's grandfather, who passed away last Sunday, and Betty Neighbors, who passed away on Friday, are they dead or are they alive? They are more alive than you and me. Do you believe that? To be absent in the body means to be present with the Lord. They are alive today. For those of us who know Christ, we're alive today. We have that living hope within us. Christ is both Lord of the dead, who, those who don't know Christ, and we desire for them to come to know him, and those who are alive. He is Lord both of the dead and the living. Verse 10, so why do you pass judgment on your brother? Notice again, very clear for us, this isn't talking to the unsaved. This is talking about those who are inside of the church, those who have claimed Christ as their Savior. Why are you passing judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? Why do you look down on him? Because he eats only vegetables. Why do you pass judgment thinking that they're wrong and you're right because you eat only vegetables. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. 
So he takes this quote from Isaiah 45. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And he finishes this section with this. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You, me, we each, every single person will stand before God and you will give an account. Does that scare you? May it not frighten us because of what we see in the other texts of the word of God. I stand declared right before the almighty God because of the blood of Jesus. I'm righteous before God not because of what I've done, but because of Jesus. But I am held on account for how I live. There are some who accept Jesus as Savior and they think that's a free pass. They think they got their ticket to heaven. That's all they needed. So now they can live however they want. Paul is addressing this saying, you don't get to live however you want. No, you're going to stand before the Almighty Lord... And you're going to give an account for how you lived your life. I think that circles back to what you are convinced in your own mind. How it honors God. As I've said, there's always been conflict in the history of the church. Some of you may say, well, in the good old days, let me caution you and warn you. In the good old days usually means that you're slandering what is happening now. Not always. But we see this conflict as Paul writes, Alexander the coppersmith, he relentlessly opposed Paul in 2 Timothy 4.14. Diotrephus, he usurped John's apostle authority in 3 John Chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. Hemenius and Philetus, I love these names. They undermine the faith of believers in 1 Timothy 1.20 and 2 Timothy 2.17. We looked at how Paul had to oppose Peter for his hypocritical treatment of Gentile Christians in the presence of other Jews in Galatians 2. The apostle even found himself, Paul, an angry disagreement with, with Barnabas of all people so that the two had to part ways and they weren't going to work again together. In Acts 15, verse 39. So if the apostles struggled with conflict, don't you think we will too? Let me ask you before we get to our three points because that's what a good pastor does is bring three points. Let me ask you, what are your absolutes? What are your non-negotiable hard beliefs? What's the doctrine that you believe in? What do you believe that is of most essential? And let me encourage you, you better have biblical evidence of what that is. You should. It should be easy. How we can say man was born, all of us, with a sin nature. That's a non-negotiable for me. I believe that salvation is only through Christ. That's a non-negotiable for me. 
You can't add anything to salvation. You can't take anything away. It's because Christ died for you. He was hung on a cross and he was buried. And three days later, he conquered sin and death. He rose from the dead. And today, he sits on the right hand of the throne of God. And he waits for the right time to come and return as Lord and as Messiah, as King over Israel. To take his place on David's throne. There's some non-essentials in my life. What about for you? Non-negotiable, I should say. And then there are other non-essentials. What are my personal convictions? Remember I talked about individual soul liberty? I believe that God has given you a soul. And that soul is meant to have communion with God forever. So with that. What are your individual soul liberties? The life that God has given us is not supposed to be bound by rules. In fact, when I read the Gospels and when I read a lot of Paul's letters and Peter and John and what they have to write in the New Testament, there is a lot of freedom that the Gospel brings. I don't hear any hallelujahs or shouts for joy because I think sometimes we don't understand the kind of freedom that the Gospel message brings us. We're stuck and we fail to live in the joy of the Lord because we're caught up in our legalism. So when you have your individual convictions, what are they based upon? Where do you turn in Scripture yourself for yourself that you live this way? And then I want to ask you this. Are you forcing others to live by those same convictions? Because that's called legalism. And if I'm honest, when I came here in 1999, it has been one of the things that I have fought against the most. I hate legalism because I think God hates legalism. It's man-made and it's a force amongst other people of how to live out the truths of his word. So with that being said, let me give you three points. I believe, one, that we read here, grace demands that I start with acceptance. Some of your translations may have used that word acceptance. The ESV says it a little bit different, where it says to welcome him. Some translations say accept him. Grace demands that I start with acceptance. Let me pause here for a minute because in our culture today, and this is what drives me crazy. I can't just say that phrase. I have to, I have to qualify it. Because our culture says, oh, love accepts everyone and everything. That's not what Paul is saying here. Don't misunderstand me. This does not mean that I... Throw away what the clear truth of God's word is. I love how Chuck Swindoll says it. He said, acceptance does not require truth to be set aside or sin to be ignored. Sin is sin. Now, we have to let God define sin. But the truth is, can you get in my brain? Can you see my thoughts? Can you know my motivations? There's 
one here on earth who's pretty good at it, but she doesn't know it all. And I beg to say, you don't know it either. When we look at this, grace demands that I start with acceptance. I think back to Christ, and I think of what he says in his prayer with his apostles. He's praying not only for them, but he's praying for the church too. In John chapter 17, verses 22 through 23, where he's praying for what? Unity. It's not uniformity. It's not that everybody's going to look the same. That's not what we're talking here. But he's talking for unity. That we can agree to disagree on some gray issues. You've read, you've heard the stories. There's one simple illustration that I always go back to. I love reading about Charles Spurgeon, but Charles Spurgeon, he was was a cigar smoker. Today, we would be like, how did he really love Jesus? He smoked a cigar. Didn't he know what he was putting in his body? His body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How could he do that? He must not have loved Jesus enough. You listen to some of his sermons. That's a man who loved Jesus with all his heart. He preached his word. He felt at liberty that he could smoke a cigar. And that wasn't against his conscience or what God desired for him. There was another pastor down the road who who would go to movie theaters, who would go to the theater and see a play. And Spurgeon, this other pastor was his friend. They grew up together. These two, they they waged war at each other. They were good friends, childhood friends, and, and they started waging war. I can't believe that you would smoke a cigar. I can't believe that you're going to the theater. You know what the theater is? That's for pagans. This is conflict. It's interesting because we see later Spurgeon, as he's walking down the road, he sees this banner, this ad, excuse me, (coughs) this ad that's there as he's walking by the storefront. And this ad says, this is the cigar that Charles Spurgeon smokes. And at that point, He writes that at that very point, he stopped cold turkey. He didn't want to be known for that. He didn't give them the right. That was before you could sue, you know, for the rights of infringements. But here here he, he was convicted at that very moment. God convicted him. God in his spirit, in his mind, He knew what he had to do. Next week, we're going to dig in a little deeper, and we're going to come across this phrase. If you know what is right, if you're convicted of what is right, and you don't do it, it's sin. As we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, grace demands the same grace that God has shown you. We are unworthy of God's love, and yet God has demonstrated, he's shown us grace day after day after day. Why? Because our sin demands punishment. Our sin deserves an eternal separation from him. Our sin demands that we should be destroyed. But what has God done? He has shown us grace. 
And that same grace God desires for us to show others, our brothers, our sisters in this context, to accept them, to love them. It doesn't mean that you may agree with them, but it leaves not just room, it leaves a lot of room for different preferences. Number two, I live for the audience of one. Notice I, I, I made this grace demands. I start with acceptance. I live for the audience of one. I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I hope that you'll make it personal here this morning. I live for the audience of one, meaning there is one master who I am owed my life to. So if we're going about doing things to try to other, please other people, you're going to be exhausted, you're going to be tired, and you're going to fall short of what God desires really for your life. The way that you live life is for the audience of one to please him. In matters of all non-essential items, you should be convicted to honor one person. There are a lot of convictions that I have that you may never know. And I'm okay with that. And I don't know that you need to know. Because I don't want to sway you one way or another. What is your conviction? Who are you trying to please? Now, I will say, when you're rearing your children, they're in your house and you need to teach them and you need to show them. You need to model before them. And it's okay for you to tell them what you believe is right and wrong. I'm not telling you that in your home that you can give these give your children the freedom to do whatever they want. No, that's part of what happened in our culture that's been really, really bad. Look up Dr. Spock, and I'm not talking about Star Trek. Young people, your parents have the authority over your life as long as you're living in their home. God placed them there as his agent. And so don't you whip out this and say, Pastor Aaron said today that I live for only Jesus. I don't have to listen to you. I don't think some of you would be brave enough to say that, but maybe in the heat of the moment you would. That's not what I'm saying. As we mature up and grow, ultimately we will be accountable to one person. And that goes to my third point. I am not the judge. There's only one. And the truth is, you're not the judge either. Why aren't we? Are you omniscient? Do you know all the facts? Because in order to judge rightly, you must have all the facts. I barely know enough to get through the day. To discern my own life, let alone someone else's. I also can't be completely objective. Why? Because I'm biased. Why am I biased? Because I'm selfish and I'm finite and so are you. We often can't see the big picture. We're limited. But we read in the scriptures that God desires what is best 
He has the full view. Thus why he can be the judge. Because he sees it all. And he knows it all. I'm limited by my sin. And by my mind. God is not limited. I also can condemn. But I can't redeem. God is the only one who can redeem. That's why he can be the judge. When God confronts sin, he offers, always offers a means of salvation. I love what Chuck Swindoll says in his commentary. When God confronts sin, he always offers a means of salvation, redemption. Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead to make redemption possible. The Holy Spirit can convict sin and then transforms a soul. The Father offers hope after someone has failed. My condemnation, on the other hand, offers nothing but rejection. Are you the judge? I'm not. Neither are you. There's one. So we've had a start. Next week, we'll dig in a little bit more. I hope that you'll pray and ask the Lord to show you what, what are those non-negotiables, the doctrines of life, and then what are those things that you are convicted of that are essential for your walk with Jesus, but that may not be essential for everyone. And ask the Lord to show you if you're pushing that on other people. If you're demanding that people live the way you want them to live. Don't try to figure out if you're the stronger or the weaker brother. Both have a responsibility to come together and ultimately to accept and to love one another. That's the call for us as a church. In spite of our sin, in spite of our walking away from God's perfect standard. God loves us. Jesus said the best way that we are going to show the world who God is, is the way we love one another. I think we've got some work to do, don't you? Lord, we pray that you would help us. We all fall short in this area. We're quick to condemn. And yet, Lord, we're thankful that we can continually come to you and see the forgiveness and the grace that you grant us, that your mercy is new every morning. And Lord, we have that opportunity to show others in our life. So we pray that as we leave from here, that we would be fully convinced in our own mind and heart how you desire in different areas of our life, we would seek your face and that you would show us how we may live pleasing to you in a way that honors you and help us to love our brothers, to love our sisters, to show the same kindness and care that you show us, Lord, that we would be gentle, loving, and that we would allow room for your spirit to continue to do its work. We pray for your blessing as we leave from here. May you continually guide us and lead us. Bless us, Lord, in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.